Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. And today I have a very special guest. We've had the opportunity to chat a couple of times before today's program, and it's been it's been a laugh a minute. It's been extremely entertaining and informative, and wow, gee gosh. We are talking today with the writer-director of The Magical Mystery of Musigny, which won Best Story at the Los Angeles Animation Festival. John Meyer. We're going to hear a lot about John Meyer throughout the show, and I guarantee you it will be an interesting and entertaining conversation. (laughs) So, John Meyer, welcome to The Reasonable Voices. How are you today? Well, thank you. I'm fine. I'm a little gobsmacked, as the British say. Both Emmett and I are, because we never expected uh, this kind of an, of an award to come our way. Emmett Goodman is the animator of uh, The Magical Mystery of Musigny. Yes. And usually, you know, uh, to get this kind of recognition, um, best story, a film company has to take ads in the trades. Mm-hmm. They have to hire a slew of press agents. They have to lobby for their film, and we did none of that. We weren't even at the festival, neither Emmett nor I. And just out of the blue, uh, they selected the film for a best story. I can't believe it, just on its merit, you know? It's so rare. Well, I've watched it several times. It is an animated short, and my apologies to Emmett for not mentioning his part in this while we are speaking to the writer-director, John Meyer, we will be talking in another interview with the animation artist, Emmett Goodman. But I have to say, in watching the Le Musigny, I'm loving right. to that, I can understand why it won Best Story at the Los Angeles uh, Animation Festival. I think because it, it, it deals with something we might not think about a great deal. Uh, and, you know, and, and gives it... a shall I say, full body. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking about wine tasting, I assume? Oh, yes, yes. 
Yes, that's uh, an, uh, a subject of infinite variety, and I could go on yes. for a long time about it. But uh, I think the thing that is appealing about the story, I added a conflict. You know, the story concerns a revelation, an epiphany that I had while drinking this particularly fine red burgundy called Musigny. Mm -hmm. And that's lovely as an experience, but to make a little drama out of it, I had to add some conflict. So I imagined my wife... <laughs> who didn't believe my, the story of my revelation. Briefly, for the listeners, uh, when I took a sip of this particularly excellent Burgundy, I was transported in my imagination to the Don River in Russia, mm. a river I'd never seen, a country I'd never visited. And uh, I knew it was Russia because... There were the onion spires of the cathedral tops across mm -hmm. the river, yes. and the moonlight was shining in a particular way on the water. And I came home and I said, my God, Suzanne, I've just had the most incredible experience. I went to Russia as a result of drinking Musigny. Mm. And she said, you know, <laughs> I think you were just drunk. Yes. <laughs> I said, I was not drunk. I was in full possession of my faculties. And uh, one day it'll happen to you. Mm. And in the little three-minute animated film, uh, I arrange that it does happen to her. So there's all there's an arc of a story. Yes. And uh, that's I think my contribution to the narrative. This is uh, a style I developed with a director named Paul Bartel. Do you remember him? Do you remember a picture called Eating Raoul? Oh yes, yes, yes. That funny little balding guy with a beard had the most uh, bizarre sense of humor, kind of dark. And he and I together worked for uh, Steven Spielberg, who did uh, an anthology show called The Amazing Stories. That's right. I remember those, too. Yeah, back in the 80s. And uh, Paul and I developed a style which I characterized as cartoon noir. Hmm. And cartoon noir is funny and suspenseful at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's as if Hitchcock was drawn in animation, you know? <laughs> yes. And uh, so that's the style that I applied to this Musigny video. And Emmett Goodman was hip enough to translate uh, my words into a visual. And it just turned out excellently. And... Uh, the folks at the animation festival seem to think so too. I can't emphasize enough how how much Emmett's animation style contributed to the effect yes. of the film. Yes, and prep for this show, actually, I I watched um, Emmett's reel, and he's an, an amazingly talented fellow. I have to say, I'm looking forward to talking to him too. You... Yes, exactly. Now, of course, he presents a conundrum to me because he's young <laughs> yes. and uh, he's in school now and he's writing his thesis and that's taking all his time. Mm. Now, now that we've achieved some recognition, I've got five or six more stories that I want to put on his plate. Yes. You know, and Emmett says to me, well, I have to finish my thesis. <laughs> And I say to him, Emmett, don't you understand? With this award, you have leaped uh, five notches over all 
those young scrambling animators yes. who are trying to get arrested. That's right. You don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to stay in the academic field anymore. And you can Let's always go right to commercial animation. That's right. I mean, you can you always know? go back. You know, <laughs> uh, but you know, he's committed to his program. Good for him. I even called his father and I said, uh, Robert, that's his father's <laughs> name. Please, I said, convince Emmett to give up this ridiculous thesis and jump right into commercial animation so anyway his father and i are going to lean on him yes see what we can achieve well i'll i'll jo i'll join that effort when i speak to him next week i i'll uh, i'll add my two cents <laughs> <laughs> Funny, isn't it? yes you know you you mentioned steven spielberg and as most of my listeners know i was cast in lincoln but the real fun of that, the second fun of that, was when the New York and California agents told me that um, uh, Stephen had personally watched my uh, audition and had said he, wa he wanted to work with that man, which was great. But there's so many wonderful stories, and I'm sure you have many more, of the best thing of, of that was actually being on the set with Steven Spielberg, having him choose not only what he wanted me to say, the lines he wanted to add, etc., but um, just watching him work, even when he wasn't talking to me. <laughs> but it was a marvelous experience, and I... I'm sure. Yeah. You know, uh, we we were not directed by Stephen uh -huh. as much he signed off as executive producer for our episode uh -huh. which was about George Gershwin coming back from the dead yes. to deliver new tunes uh, you know I remember <laughs> you know, that episode example of cartoon noir yeah. one of these bizarre premises that uh, that we made work dramatically however I will say that my uh, my one memory of working at Amblin, which is Stephen's yes, company, yes. going into the Amblin office, you are confronted with a freezer that is half a block long. Oh, and wow. you open the freezer door at <laughs> the top, and, and there are about 550 pints of Haggadah's ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it then was there's something. <laughs> that's right. There's and something else. All that ice cream. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's something else we have in common. I had I had no idea. Uh, both you and Stephen. Uh, wow. Well, you yeah. know, you you've had quite a career, but I want to to make certain I've got this right. Somewhere I read, this is your first experience. Le Musigny is your first experience as writer director of an animation film. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Well, I've been writing. I wrote a film with Paul Bartel called Not for Publication. Yes. And uh, the episode of The Amazing Stories, Gershwin's Trunk, I wrote that. But directing animation is much easier because you're not talking... <laughs> You're not talking to live people. Live actors, yes. I always had the, the fantasy that one of the animators, Fred Quimby or somebody, yeah. um, would say to Tom of Tom and Jerry, he says, yes. okay, Tom, I want you to dive into the stream and hold your breath for six minutes. <laughs> and Tom would turn to the animator and say, I just don't feel it, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> What's my motivation? I know. God, how many times I've heard that. I, uh, you know, you don't get that with animated. That's characters. right. <laughs> Maybe that's why Stevens turned to so much animation lately. Who knows? Yeah, they they don't argue back. That's right. Know?
<laughs> All right, listen. Obviously, we could talk for days. I, I got that feeling the first time we chatted. But uh-huh. let's. Uh, but you you began as a songwriter, yes? I did. I always had a talent for uh, comedy lyrics. Uh-huh. Ever since high school, when I would write little ditties that made fun of the teachers, you know. <laughs> and then in college, I got to do uh, a review, an original review. Mm-hmm. I wrote special comedy lyrics, and after graduating college. I worked with wonderful performers like Madeline Kahn yes. and Lily Tomlin yes. and Linda Lavin, and uh, they jo- all did my lyrics. So and Joan Rivers. I was able to hone my gift uh, with these performers. Yes. And, and, and I got and, to know what worked in front of an audience by trial and error. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I wrote an original an original film noir mm-hmm. thriller yes. called The Betrayal of Nora Blake. We produced it in London. Yes. And it had a it had a, a great premise, if I do say so, he said, modestly buffing his nails on yes. his shirt. <laughs> uh, I found it in a newspaper. There were twin brothers huh. who were incarcerated in the same prison and they switched places. I said, my God, what an idea. Yes. And I made the brothers sisters. Uh-huh. And uh, the evil one, there's an evil twin, of course. Yes. A, an innocent uh, girl. Uh-huh. And the evil twin has framed the innocent girl for murder. And on the night of her electrocution, she comes to say goodbye. And the innocent one smacks the evil one on the head and steals her clothes. And escapes from prison <laughs> as her sister. Yes. And she has until midnight to find the solution to the mystery. Otherwise, at midnight, her sister will fry in her place. Mm. Anyway, well, I thought this was such a delicious noir oh, premise. Yes. Cartoon noir, you know? Yeah. Yes. And uh, I wrote some songs to go with it, and we did it in London. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so that's the that, end of that story. Yes. Well, we should also mention Judy Garland uh, has performed, uh, what was it, I'd Like to Hate Myself in the Morning? That's right. Yeah. That was the first song she performed. I don't want to do too much time on Judy because she tends to monopolize the conversation. <laughs> you know. But uh, right here, uh, just before Christmas, is a particularly appropriate time because she sang a song of mine called After the Holidays oh, yes. about being left at Christmas time. Yes. And this you can view on YouTube. It's on the Johnny Carson excerpt. Mm-hmm. And if you go to YouTube and program in Judy Garland and the title After the Holidays, you can see a very touching performance. I don't know, you probably didn't have time to do that, but I'm getting a lot of emails these days about how moved people are yes. by Judy's performance. Well, I always loved her performances, and and we'll leave it at that, but I always did. Uh, uh, I will just say, a shameless self-plug, yes. that uh, <laughs> I did have quite an experience with Judy, and I wrote about it in a memoir called Heartbreaker. That's Heartbreaker, and you can get it on Amazon. Yes, and, uh, and it was originally published by Doubleday, yes? Yes, that's right. Just released by Kensington. And the reason they re-released it was because they could bundle in the book a CD, 
which they couldn't do uh, uh, at Doubleday when it first came out. And the CD contains a rehearsal that I did with Judy around the piano. Oh, wow. And she's singing songs and telling stories, and it's just a revelation into her character and sure. personality. She's so bright and funny, you yes, know? Yes, yes. All right. Well, we, we are going to talk about Le Musigny. Um I just... Um, in in studying up to to talk with John Meyer uh, today, I found out all these wonderful things. I thought I already knew about you, but there was so much more. And and the fact that I very much remember Gershwin's trunk, you know, the amazing stories uh, episodes that we we talked about, produced by Steven Spielberg. There's just so much. But let me ask you. I think you've given us the synopsis already of Le Musigny. Le Musigny. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but how long, <laughs> how long have you been a wine sniffer, and why? A <laughs> <laughs> wine sniffer. Yes. Um, a, a long time. Like, yeah. Uh, over over thirty years, really. Yeah. Uh, and I have refined my desire and my taste pretty much to French wines. There are some wonderful wines all over the world. Mm -hmm. California, Australia, South Africa, they all make excellent wines. I happen to prefer the French wines for uh, a certain complexity. Mm -hmm. Not to get too arcane mm -hmm. about it, but uh, you, can, you can spend an entire evening examining the different layers of a good French wine, you yes. know? There's cherry fruit, and there are pencil shavings, for instance. These aromas hit your nose, mm. and you can just uh, keep defining what it is that's intriguing you about this liquid. Yes. And anyway, it, it's an endless, endlessly fascinating source for me. All right. On that wonderful note, we're going to take a short break. Everyone stay with us. We are speaking, in my opinion, to a legend. Uh, oh, yes, John Meyer. I mean, he's, well, we've been talking about it. He's, he's written memoirs, musicals, he's done film, and, and Steven Spielberg. I mean, it's a long list. So, But today we're going to try and concentrate on in the second segment on the magical mystery of Musigny. Yeah, just rattle it off the top of your head. That's right, which just won, by the way, the best story at the Los Angeles Animation Festival. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Beautiful. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Ask people what they want out of life. The most common answer? To be happy. This core truth has led to billions in profits for the drug companies who seek to control the opposite of happy, depression. Untold resources go into the study of depression, so why is there so little study of happiness? It is just such studies that are explored in the documentary, Happy. This is an entirely entertaining film, and it is also a studiously presented advanced study of our most sought-after emotion. We learn that 50% of a person's penchant for happiness is innate, the chemical makeup that we are born with, and another 10% is our environment. That leaves an incredible 40% which is completely under our own control. We learn that the phrase, money can't buy happiness, is both true and false. It can contribute mightily at the most basic level, but after life's basic needs are met, it can also create a treadmill of want that has the opposite effect. 
Is that why the richest country on earth is by no means the happiest? So, what is the magic ingredient for achieving lasting happiness? Happy, amazingly, within our control. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio program. My guest today, I'm delighted to say, is John Meyer. John Meyer is the writer-director of The Magical Mystery of Musigny, which won the best story at the Los Angeles Animation Festival and is a product of his work, John Meyer's work, with the animation artist Emmett Goodman. And as I mentioned at some point in the uh, last segment, this was the first time that John Meyer actually was both writer and director of an animation film, and of course that led to lots of fun conversation and and lots of great memories. It's particularly holiday memories. It's a perfect time of the year to watch this short. And why don't we, as a matter of fact, John, why don't we go ahead and tell people, we'll repeat it, but where can they see your beautiful animated short, The Magical Mystery of Musigny? Well, you tell me, Marcelo, because I believe you had to access the site. That's right. I don't, I don't remember. It's, it's Vimeo. Yes. I know it's Vimeo. Yes. Um, is that all I have to say? Is that's there a all, code word or something? No, that's all you have to say. At least the copy that was sent to me, I didn't even need a password. So mm-hmm. I will double check and make certain that works for everybody. And okay, what... I know that Emmett is going to put it up on YouTube eventually. Yes. I'm not quite sure when. And uh, I should clarify the idea of directing an animated film. Uh-huh. As we were kidding in the last segment, it's so much easier to direct animated characters because they don't talk back to you and request motivation or a special trailer, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But there are other challenges in animation that sort of balance out. And now, of course, that we have received some recognition, uh, it's going to be incumbent upon both Emmett and myself to come up with more. Mm-hmm. And so I'm lucky in that in the past, oh, three or four years, I have been writing blogs uh, based on my experiences in and around show business. Oh. Um, for example, there was a neighbor of mine in an apartment building where I lived in the 60s mm-hmm. who complained about uh, my playing piano after 11 o'clock. Uh-huh. In fact, she hauled me into court to enjoin me wow. to stop. And uh, I tried to explain to the judge that you can't regulate inspiration That's to right. arrive on time before 11. And if I had an idea for a song and it happened to be 11.20, I needed to go to the piano and work it out. Hmm. And the judge said, well... I'm going to fine you $400. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she said, and if you come before me again, I'll double that. So that was a chastening experience for me. Mm-hmm. And Jane and I, that was the lady who yes. uh, hauled me to court, mm-hmm. we avoided each other's eye every time we shared the elevator. Mm-hmm. Of course, I tried to be friendly. 
say hi, Jane, and how's it going? Remember me? Turn away. <laughs> well, imagine my surprise when I came into the lobby one evening, and there was Jane in her robe and slippers. Huh. And I said, Jane, what are you doing down here? She said, if you come upstairs, you can hear them. I said, who, Jane? She said, the rats, they're in the walls. Oh it was a moment out of Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yes. She grabbed my hand, took me up to the fourth floor, took me to her living room and said, see, they're in there, listen. And I listened, there was nothing. Yeah. I said, I don't hear anything, Jane. She said, they're in the bathroom, they're in the bathroom, come in. She took me into the bathroom, I didn't hear anything. I said, this woman is suffering from hallucinations. I got her downstairs. I said, Jane, lock up. Put on your shoes. I said, we're going to Roosevelt Hospital. I took her to Roosevelt Hospital, where she sat staring glassy-eyed. Mm. And finally, an intern came out, and she disappeared into the depths of Roosevelt Hospital. Oh, wow. I went to sign her out. And the receptionist said to me, are you a member of the family? And I said, no, uh, we just live in the same apartment building. And she looked at me and said, she's lucky to have a friend like you. Oh, wow. Yes, she was. Right? Yes. I mean, that, yes. again, speaking of cartoon noir, it's, it's, well, I don't know how to characterize it, but it's an amazing story that is both funny and suspenseful. Yes. Or I should, you know, at the same time. Anyway, I'm going to get Emmett to animate that story. Oh, wow. But Great. It'll be an unusual cartoon, don't you it, think? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, which brings up for me, as I was growing up, uh, cartoons weren't my thing. I don't know why. I loved old films. I would sit and, and watch 10 a.m. movie, 1 o'clock movie, and a, a 5 p.m. movie. And if I wasn't in school, I would watch them, and I would uh, do my chores and my homework in between when, they, when right. there wasn't a movie. Right. What were some of your favorites? <laughs> oh, my heavens. Well, all the ones that everyone's heard of by now. But, I mean, I watched some that whose titles I can't even remember. And when I get on uh, Netflix or something and order something, I went, oh, I saw this already. And it was uh -huh. years ago, but it was so great to see it now as a, as a grown-up, which my wife would deny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a big fan of Billy Wilder. Oh, I've yes. I've seen almost everything he, he's done. Yes. If I had to pick one, I would say Sunset Boulevard. Oh, yes. Wow. In fact, I went uh, to such lengths that I unhooked the back of my TV, took a pair of alligator clips, attached uh -huh. them to the speakers, uh -huh. and I would tape the soundtracks. This is years uh, before we had VHS. Oh, my God. I cannot believe the things we've done. <laughs> yes, I would take the soundtracks, and then I would study them to learn the craft of construction. Yes. And that's how I taught myself to write. Oh, wow. And I have to thank Billy Wilder for giving us such wonderful, vivid, yes. and economical screenplays. Some like it hot and yes. double indemnity yes. and all those wonderful films. Well, I recorded back when you recorded on a reel-to-reel, -reel, I would yeah. actually record the movies uh -huh. and and listen to them over and over and over again. Casablanca, you know, everything. Okay, let's get back. <laughs> we have to do this. We have to do this sometimes when we we don't have to stick to the subject. <laughs> right. 
But, you know, I'm it's kind of like your, at least the way your wife is portrayed in this wonderful short. But when I was in New York, I ate out all the time. And, of course, I did succumb to enjoying the bouquet and all of that. And I felt I had a somewhat educated nose. But by the time my D.C. years came along, I did less and less of that. Do you suppose I'm missing anything? I mean, uh, what do you think? Well, it is one of the great sensual experiences. Mm. In fact, I would place it on a par with sex. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, nobody's going to agree with that. <laughs> well, why not both, you know? <laughs> you know. But once you begin drinking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it it really becomes addictive because it's a process of teaching yourself uh, a new facility, a new aspect of sensuality, you know, because when that burgundy rolls over your tongue and you close your eyes and you inhale the liquid and the bouquet, Mm. it it really is an extraordinary experience. So I would advise people... To get into it. Yeah, that's folks. right. That's right. No matter what your wife might say. Uh, but but you, uh, <laughs> you don't have to spend the money required uh, to buy a Musigny, yes. which can approach a $1,000 a bottle. Yes. You know? yes. There are wonderful burgundies for 40 or $50. I could give you three names if you want. Sure. There's, uh, there's a, a wine called Santenay, S-A-N-T-E-N-A-Y. Wonderful red and white burgundy. There's a wine called Montelie, M-O-N-T-H-E-L-I-E, also exquisite. And finally, uh, a wine called Mercure, like Mercury with an E-Y at the end. Yes. Anyway, all those wines would repay uh, investigation. Yes. And would start you off on on the trip. And I and I while we're at it, let's spell. Uh... Musigny, M-U-S-I-G-N-Y. Exactly. Uh, yes. So, well, this this is grand. Let, do you attend many wine tastings? Is that sort of a, a way of life for you? I, I used to go to many wine tastings, ah. yes. I haven't been going uh, because I've been concentrating on the writing. Yes. You know, if you go to enough wine tastings... <laughs> Either your writing you lose, improves, you or you lose. To write. That's right. <laughs> but you, and you come home and you just lie down. <laughs> well, best story winner, I'll tell you. We've talked about a lot of specifics in in this uh, three-minute short animation, but uh, it is a a winner, best story. And I still say to people, no matter how much we've said here. You should see it yourself and enjoy because there are also a lot of subtleties and humor and uh, romance. And I mean, it isn't just not the just is the right word. Wine tasting. But how does one uh, how does <laughs> how do how do you get res- yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yourself. How does one respond in your experience, I know I've had a couple of experiences like this too. When one, when you are fascinated by wine, and you say so, and you're out in public with a date or with friends, and you get a comment like, uh, "Oh, you're just drunk." How do you respond? Yeah. Well, first of all, you keep the sting out of your uh, your dialogue yes. by pretending that uh, 
that you're not as intensely involved <laughs> as you actually are. You say, I think you get a kick out of this. Hey, yes. uh, try it. You, know? <laughs> you try to demystify the subject, you know, gotcha. and make it part of the dinner experience. Yes. And in fact, uh, you know, there, you can, uh, you can uh, involve your guests in curiosity of wine. For instance, not many people know that a red wine can go with a particular fish. Mm, for mm -hmm. instance, salmon, for instance, yes. takes very well to red wine. Now, you'd think mostly white wine for fish, and that is generally true, but this is a colorful exception as a piece of salmon fillet and uh, a red wine. Some people are amused when you talk of Bordeaux, which uh -huh. has a certain austere component, and the aroma can often remind you of a hope chest, mm. cedar, pencil shavings, lead, mm. uh, you know, a cigar box. And when you can define, yeah, it does kind of smell like ah, that. You, uh -huh. you pique people's curiosity, you know, sure. and they say, hey, now what does this wine smell like? Oh, my God, cherries, plums, hmm. totally different. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, it's it's an endlessly fascinating subject, and if you're of a mind, too, uh, it can amuse you and entertain you. Exactly. I knew in my Peabody Conservatory of Music years, I met a, a, a famous Spanish artist, Maria, and I can't remember her last name, but her husband was quite a wine connoisseur, and for the first time ever in my life at the time, I was a college student, I went to their home, and he would ask me, "Well, what what are you in? What flavors? What tastes are you in the mood for?" And he wouldn't let it go until I would come up with some description, and then he would sit down with several different bottles of wine, and he would pour them and and measure how he was pouring until he said, now try this. Is that what you were describing? And I mean, he nailed it. It was such an experience I've never forgotten. Yeah, ah, just, exactly. Yeah. And different wines give rise to different fantasies. Yes. This particular Musigny sent me to Russia. Yes, you mentioned that. I suppose that. if I drank a Rioja, <laughs> it would send me to Madrid. You know? what, was, what was Susie's, at least as the character, what was Susie's uh, wine epiphany? Well... Uh, Susie, who was skeptical at the first that I had had this experience, I told her, wait till it happens to you, and you think I should give away what it was that, no. uh, that finally but, but, tipped the scales for Susie? No, but we know, we just let us know that it, it, it did, and then we'll have to see the movie to find out exactly how. But the Exactly. The point <laughs> is, one of the many, uh, I think, romantic points in Le Musigny, the award-winning, best story. Timing is, everyone is on their own scale and their own time frame. And we go through life many times trying to impose our tempo on someone else. But it's so much better when you can share something, invite someone to do so, and then in their own time, they come to discover it too, because it's the joy for you all over again. And that's the impression I got from of course, yeah, of course. Yeah. Speaking of time, this little short, Musigny, is only three minutes long. Yes. Uh, that was a stricture imposed upon me 
by the wine spectator. Mm -hmm. In fact, the impulse to write about this experience came because the wine spectator offered readers a chance to participate in a contest. Ah. And the contest was, send us your most vivid wine experience. So this, of course, yes, was mine. Exactly. And I wrote about it, and they they approved it as a contest entry. And after it got into the contest, I said to myself, why do we make a cartoon out of this? But it had to be under three minutes. Uh, that's, you know... <laughs> Some people might think that means, oh, well, that's easy. It's only three minutes. But it takes a lot, I think, to get a an arc, a, a storyline, a, a, a exactly. thread, you know, in, in three minutes. And you have certainly accomplished uh, that. Obviously, it's not just my opinion. It won the best story at the Los Angeles Animation Festival. So it isn't yeah, just... No, there yeah. was a very famous writer named G.K. Chesterton. And he wrote a letter to his son. And at the end of the letter, he said, I'm sorry that this letter is so lengthy. I didn't have the time to write it short. <laughs> yes. Pretty good, huh? It is. But it's true, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's... Editing, editing is uh, the most vital part of the mm -hmm. process, really. Mm -hmm. Taking out the excess. Yes. Removing, you know, the baggage that dilutes or pollutes your premise mm -hmm. and just getting to the narrative punch. Mm -hmm. Again, Billy Wilder was a master. Yes. All right. I guess um, we should run. I don't want to because, uh, John, we just have to uh, do this again because this has been fascinating. And I want, before we go, we, of course, we've been trying to talk mostly about, although I've enjoyed talking about John Meyer, his life, his career, the, the musicals, memoirs, film, a comedy writer, songwriter, you know, saver of neighbors. Uh, he he has, He's quite quite a life story, and that's what we should put on film. But in any case, let us, before we go, uh, remind everyone the magical mystery of Musigny uh, won Best Story at the Los Angeles Animation Festival. And we've been talking today and having a marvelous conversation with the writer-director of this short, John Meyer, and, of course, remembering the animation artistic work of Emmett Goodman. Who... And by the way, Emmett and I are working on another three or four stories and would be happy to hear from any creative personnel who would like to join us, hmm. an agent, a producer, whoever. Okay. Well, I know several, <laughs> and I will make certain they hear this interview. How's that? All right. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, you Marcelo. It's been delightful. It's, exactly. And it's mutual, and I, I cannot tell you how much I look forward to the next time we talk, okay? Well, okay. Give me a call. Will do. Bye now. Great. All the best. Ciao. Ciao. Bye. And now... Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Everyone knows about movie ratings, G, PG, PG-13, or NC-17. But for the average moviegoer, the Motion Picture Association of America's Ratings Board, which assigns the ratings, is shrouded in mystery. This film is not yet rated, sheds some light on that controversial process. Filmmaker Kirby Dick set out to figure out how the ratings board operates. He interviewed several notable filmmakers whose work had received ratings they perceived as 
was overly harsh. With the help of a private investigator, he gathered intel on the members of the ratings board, demonstrating its members don't fit the guidelines set out by the MPAA itself. Dick even explored the appeals process for lowering a film's rating by submitting a cut of this one and then including in his final cut the footage from those results. This film is not yet rated is equally hilarious, compelling, and infuriating. It's definitely not a family film. The board originally rated it NC-17, but the lengths to which Dick goes in getting to the bottom of how movies receive their ratings are a dynamite watch. His exposure of the system's hypocrisy is instructive and entertaining for both the film lovers and casual moviegoers among us. This film is not yet rated, not in theaters, Discovery Through Rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. People will always remember, and those we can't wait to forget. We're always making memories, whether numbering refugee children seeking asylum before interning them in camps, or sharing in our annual effort to be the person our children, dogs, and cats believe we are, despite our shoving others out of the way for the art of the deal. While I love the fantastics of Robert Frost, after witnessing crowds fighting to get to a wall to capture holy water in Madonna-shaped plastic bottles at the grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes, I believe walls, both internal and external, bring out the worst in people. Understandably, during seasonal making room at the inn, when we temporarily revitalize, it's more blessed to give than receive, let's remember Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act are the same thing, as Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood, and Climate Change Paris Pact painfully hang on, like fingernails sliding down a blackboard, aided and abetted by national governments too reluctant to fight the good fight, and and international corporations too fearful of diminished revenue to invest in good in its eternal struggle with the root of all evil. Perhaps we need more than three wise men to save us from forgetting global issues that make Americans global citizens, whether for humankind, for stewardship of all life on earth, or for preferring Santa deliver neither. As descendants of our immigrant heritage stream America's airports, shores, and borders, still believing our land of the free, home of the brave, give me your tired, your poor, self-promoting press, we the people are slipping further away from Aretha and Benjamin Franklin and our unifying Old Testament and of, by, and for the people Abrahams. Memorable greatness breeds the courage to accept responsibility for pain we've allowed to be inflicted upon us. Dallas, 1963. Kent State, 1970. Such memories save us from being cloned in a reality show rising again like a 1939 Poland invasion, 1941 Day of Infamy, and 1945 Mass Human Annihilation Retaliation we didn't know, is no longer excusable when building a house on Saudi sand and ignoring lessons of Berlin and China walls. America's liability to re-gift wisdom to the unreasonable walled in at the insensitive altar of isolationism is overdue. 
For all our talk of greatness, where's peace of mind in believing the mightiest military on earth will protect the homeland from climate change and global warming invading our weather patterns, from water shortages caused by corporations fracking the middle class, from trade bans diminishing viability of family farms, from increasing automobile and food recalls, and from chemical companies inflicting us with cancer from trade secrets. Free will is best nourished in a free society flourishing on full disclosure and the transparency that comes with complete information, not secrets causing self-induced addictions to obesity, drugs, and dishonest family foundations bankrupting American dignity. Remembering every season bears gifts of commercial lies and product liars, shouldn't we return to sender Russian hacks wrapped in the common sense to not place our faith in Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram posts? Celebrating holidays by bridging the gap between who we claim to be and what we've settled on becoming gives the gift of exposing Goldman Sachs money laundering, judge shopping impacting health insurance of 17 million Americans, Trump Pence 2018 Hoovervilles for 15,000 refugee kids languishing in limbo. Perhaps the most illegal act in illegal immigration is... Trump Pence in defiance of a court order continuing to illegally imprison children without proper medical treatment, a nutritional diet, or professional caregivers. Our best gift to give is pricing power for those culpable in insulting our intelligence and profaning our character. So the cost is too dear for recipients Attorney Kevin McAlien, DHS Chief Kristen Nielsen, White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gildley, and Senior White House Advisor Stephen Miller, all of whom blame children for their immorality. Experienced memories remain our best defense against what is past is prologue, when, laced with new vision, that passionately ignites new blood with skin in the game. Let's face it, America's tremendous promise potential now falls on deaf domestic ears, yet refugees still come, asking, seeking, and knocking, still believing the American dream is the dream worth living and dying for. Perhaps a joy to the world season would deliver more Santa spirit if we give like giving giants. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Helen Keller, Senators Jeff Merkley and Tina Smith, Rachel Maddow, Penny Marshall, Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek, Sally Yates, Remembering forever seven-year-old Guatemalan Jacqueline Kaal Maquin, whose only crime was believing in memories of the way we were. This holy season, re-gift to mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor, until American greatness is once again for all seasons. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world.